0: We can make a difference.
1: Disclaimer. A renunciation of any claim to or connection with. Disavowal. A statement made to save one's own ass. Though it will go without saying, 10 minutes or so into these proceedings, Verbal Diorama would like to state that this podcast is, from start to finish, a work of comedic fantasy not to be taken seriously to insist that any of what follows is incendiary or inflammatory is to miss our intention and to pass undue judgment, and passing judgment is reserved for God and God alone. This goes for you iTunes critics as well. Just kidding. So please, before you think about hurting someone over this trifle of a podcast, remember, even God has a sense of humor. Just look at the platypus. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Oh oh PS, PS, we sincerely apologize to all platypus enthusiasts out there who are offended by the thoughtless comment about the platypi. We at Verbal Diorama respect the noble platypus, and it is not our intention to slight these stupid creatures in any way. Thank you again, and enjoy the show.
0: In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the job.
2: I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 168, Dogma. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, a huge hi, welcome to Verbal Diorama, whether you're a brand new listener to this podcast, welcome back, whether you're a regular returning listener or an irregular returning listener, whichever, I'm easy for both. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for choosing this podcast. And basically, no matter how you found this podcast, how you got here, I'm really happy to have you here because this is going to be a fantastic episode. We're going to be talking about the history and legacy of Dogma, which is my personal favourite Kevin Smith movie, I have to say, up front, being completely honest. But I can't do a movie like Dogma alone because I'll be honest, my Kevin Smith knowledge is not all that great. And if you're doing a film history podcast about someone like Kevin Smith, you kind of need to have someone who knows Kevin Smith. Well, maybe not personally. I don't know. Let's ask him. So I'm delighted to be introducing the man completing his holy trinity of verbal diorama guest appearances. He's the only person who's appeared on this podcast three times. And You know, whether it's the Lord's work, whether it's God's will, let's ask her when we next speak to her at some point in the near future. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome back perennial commenter Andy from Geek Salad. Hi, Andy.
1: Snooch to the motherfucking nooch. (laughs) This is why I ask about cussing. Uh, Hey, everybody, I am so happy to be back. I am so thrilled to be back here. You can hear me. Instead of me just trying to hammer out on Patreon like, you know, five sentences that make any type of sense without make, make making myself sound bitter. So I'm very, very happy to be back, Em. Thank you. I'm so honored, too. I'm the I'm a three-peat. You are. I am you are the, the Father, only <laughs> I am the son, and I am the Holy Ghost, because screw those Holy Spirit people. So You literally are. And and you religious folks will get that joke.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And and this is one of the reasons why I wanted you back. Because not only is is this literally your holy trinity, it's it's the holy trinity of 1999 movies. Seriously. you've been on for some of the best movies, obviously apart from The Mummy. We know The Mummy is the best movie of 1999 and (laughs) literally the greatest movie ever made. But... You have only ever come on this podcast to talk about movies from 1999. So you've been on to talk about Mystery Men. You've been on to talk about Galaxy Quest. And now you're back for Dogma. And to be honest, this is something that I believe we talked about when you came on for Galaxy Quest, which was... I mean, I'll be completely honest, it's been a while. It's been almost Um. (laughs) two, it
1: has been two years since I've been on. I don't know if it's to the date, but it's been like two years since I've been on. Now, you have been on my show twice already, and it's, yeah, exactly. And you're doing your, your, hopefully we can get you scheduled for three. I would hate to talk about the movies in 1992 without you. I need you there. Uh, (laughs) You know, you're part of the gang when it comes to to doing 30-year retrospectives but
2: well that's the thing i really want to come back i want to come back every year because i want to get to 1999 so desperately
1: <laughs> it it only makes sense it only makes sense and you got to you got to earn your way to that when we can talk about all the movies of 1999 <laughs> the mummy mystery men galaxy quest dogma yeah, so... I
2: mean, nothing else came out in '99, did it? I um, will say this, but... though,
1: Em, that the the fact that 1999 was probably one of the worst years of my life, and I am so happy, though, that I did actually have some great memories just just talking with you about 1999. The, the, yeah. Honestly, the highlight of 1999 is when I met my wife, but we didn't start dating until 2000,
2: so... Oh, yeah. that's so sweet! Yeah, thank you! <laughs> I'm really happy to have you back, and I apologize for it being so long. It's literally my fault because I have just been just ridiculously busy trying to basically run the on the podcast empire, and it's just it was always my intention to get you back, and it just so happens yeah. that I've finally done it. So I've finally got you back, and well, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled, I'm absolutely delighted, I'm
1: thrilled to be back. I,
2: I'm thrilled to have you here because. We're going to be talking about Dogma, and I just feel like it's something that I would personally like to have someone on with to actually discuss, because obviously I can talk about the history behind Dogma and and how Kevin Smith actually got Dogma made, but I really wanted someone to have my back on a movie like Dogma, because it is a fairly controversial movie in so many respects, but... Oh my god this movie is so much fun and it's just the experience of watching this movie again after so many years and it's still so great and it still mostly holds up. Quite well I think as well. So Yeah,
1: yeah, I would I definitely agree with the it mostly holds up.
2: Yeah, there are some things that don't. We can obviously talk about those, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the listeners to listen to a trailer for Dogma. <laughs> That's why I had to come down here this morning, man? That's why I had to miss my cartoons? You call me, you tell me it's important. We're going home. Take it, man. And quit leering at me. People are gonna think I just broke up with you.
0: Two fallen angels have just
3: discovered a loophole that can get them back into heaven. Outstanding work! All they have to do is get to Red Bank, New Jersey. There's only one problem. with me. Stop a couple of angels from entering and thus negating all existence. I hate it when people need it spelled out for them. Now I'm to charge you with a holy crusade. One person has been
0: chosen to stop them, but she won't have to do it alone.
3: I'm Jay. And this is my head with life mate, Sam bob. You gotta be kidding me. Prophets and a manner of speaking. What about sex? No sex.
1: I think just so far the sky, you Whoa. know. Oh, that sucks! What are you? I was the 13th apostle. You knew Christ? No. Brother owes me 12 bucks.
3: I thought she looked familiar. Let me guess. 14th apostle. Would
0: you like to take us to New Jersey, please?
3: Jersey's sold out, sir. I suggest you not underestimate the staggering drawing power of the Garden State. They're successful.
0: You, me, all of this
3: ends in a heartbeat. I feel like Han Solo, you're Chewie, and she's Ben Kenobi. Prepare to taste God's wrath. Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now.
1: against this dude, I swear to God. What's
3: he like? God, He's got a great sense of humor. Take sex, for example. Sex is a joke in heaven. The way I understand it, it's mostly a joke down here, too. <laughs> Get it?
2: Bartleby are two fallen angels who plan to employ an alleged loophole in Catholic dogma to return to heaven after being cast out by God. As existence is founded on the principle that God is infallible, their success would prove God wrong, thus undoing all creation. The last scion, two prophets, an apostle and a muse are sent by the seraph Metatron to stop them from entering a New Jersey church and ending existence. Let's go through the cast of Dogma. And this is an incredible cast, even for now, but especially <laughs> for 1999. So we have Ben Affleck as Bartleby, Matt Damon as Loki, Linda Fiorentino as Bethany Sloan, Salma Hayek as Serendipity, Jason Lee as Azrael, Jason Mewes as Jay, Alan Rickman as Metatron, Chris Rock as Rufus, Kevin Smith as Silent Bob, George Carlin as Cardinal Glick, Janine Garofalo as Liz and Alanis Morissette as God. Dogma was written and directed by Kevin Smith. The script for Dogma, which was technically 28 years in the making, was an exercise of Kevin Smith's faith during a time of crisis. It took his experiences making other movies like Clerks and Rats, and it would be the success of Chasing Amy which cemented his place in filmmaking and gave him the confidence to move forward on Dogma. It started with Smith asking some questions about his own faith. In a film he started writing called God which he started writing before he started writing Clerks. Clerks was picked up and made and so Smith again started working on God but retitled it Dogma. The first draft was completed in August 1994 with 148 pages accomplished and more additions. The high school protagonist was changed to a stripper named Bethany who meets Jay and Silent Bob at a nudie booth. Azrael was introduced in the final 30 pages and Bethany blew up the church in order to not let Bartleby and Loki pass through the archway. After Smith and Clerks producer Scott Mosier reread the draft, they decided they didn't want Dogma to be their sophomore film they didn't want to tackle a bigger-scale picture until they felt ready to do it. Despite including the line, Jay and Silent Bob will return in Dogma at the end of Clerks, Smith moved to Universal Studios in order to develop his next film, Mallrats. During Mallrats, Smith continued working on the Dogma script, changing Bethany's profession from a stripper to an abortion clinic worker, originally writing the role for his then-girlfriend, Joey Lauren Adams. And she would obviously go on to star in Chasing Amy. Jason Lee was originally slated to star as Loki, but the partnership and chemistry between Matt Damon and frequent Kevin Smith collaborator Ben Affleck, as well as their recent smash hit Goodwill Hunting, meant that he took that part instead. Smith did want Lee in his movie, but Lee was committed to starring in Mumford, and so he took the limited role of Asriel. Albert Brooks turned down the role of Cardinal Glick before devout atheist George Carlin took the role. And Alanis Morissette was always Kevin Smith's first choice to play Bethany, but was in the middle of her 1998-1999 world tour at the time. The role was recast with Linda Fiorentino, whom Kevin Smith openly disliked at the time of filming. However, this is just Smith's word, and as Fiorentino has never stated anything publicly against Smith, and there's no proof of her being difficult or volatile during filming, it's basically his word against... Well, nothing. Fiorentino is often dubbed a difficult woman in Hollywood and no doubt her career suffered for it. Dogma was shot mostly in Pittsburgh with Saints Peter and Paul Church doubling as St Michael's Church. Only the triplets attack on John Doe Jersey on the boardwalk was actually filmed in New Jersey at Asbury Park. And this is a movie that's not meant to give you the answer. It's meant to make you laugh. This is something Kevin Smith would say on Dogma. It was made on a budget of $10 million. It would go on to make $44 million worldwide. And for years, Kevin Smith spoke of making a sequel, but due to rights issues, which we'll come to, as well as his maturing attitude and just a lack of desire to actually make it, a sequel to Dogman never happened, and as it stands, it never will. And The Buddy Christ was designed by David Deneen, made in his image. That's Deneen's not Christ's. And currently lives at Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash in New Jersey. You can buy stickers, dashboard statues, magnets and other apparel with Buddy Christ's design on them. Hallelujah. So, Andy, I guess my first question and or our first discussion point really is, what's your history with dogma specifically?
1: Okay, so... um Well, first, we all know that it was introduced as Jane Silent Bob will be back in Dogma at the end of Mallrats. It did not happen. We got Chasing Amy in between. But I actually saw Dogma in the cinema. I managed to go. At that time, I was a a Kevin Smith-can-do-no-wrong type of fan. Um, Between him and Quentin Tarantino, if they had a movie coming out back then, I was all about that i had to go opening night or opening weekend so i actually got not only got to see dogma in the cinema but it's also one of the first dvds i bought once i once i got a dvd player because in 1999 2000 they were still reasonably new so that that's been my main history with like how far back i go back to day one with with dogma (laughs) pretty much
2: Because you're a bit of a fan of Kevin Smith. I, yeah, it's, I mean,
1: I don't know how much of a fan I am now, but Kevin Smith and I have very similar backgrounds, except he is way more successful than I am, but he, I mean,
2: you're on this podcast. I am on this
1: podcast, so I'm just living the dream. (laughs) Kevin um,
2: Smith isn't (laughs)
1: Well, I mean, he and I both worked in video, worked in video stores. Uh, I did my, I did my turn doing the the customer service thing. Actually, I, I worked at a drugstore, but they, we still sold snacks and cigarettes and everything. So very similar to his background, working at the Red Hook Quick Stop and Clerks. I went to school to write write movies. Uh, obviously, that never happened. But he he did and succeeded and went into deep credit card debt doing that. The the history of the movie Clerks is quite. Is quite intriguing, especially as a first film. And for the most part, I've enjoyed a lot of his movies, especially the stuff within the uh, the View Askew universe, which essentially goes from Clerks all the way into Jane, Silent Bob Strike Back, Pause for Jersey Girl, and then go back to uh, Clerks Two, Pause for a series of other movies which were not related to the the Askew universe at all. And then the Jane Bob reboot, and now Clerks Three. So it's so like I have I'm a I'm a bigger fan of this universe than the I believe they're calling it the Up North trilogy that he did, including Tusk and Yoga Hosers, and another movie which just the title is escaping me right now. And then Red State and Zack and Mary and Cop Out, which really have nothing to do with anything. They're their own contained thing. And Jersey Girl, sorry, how could I forget Jersey Girl? How can you? How can Um, I?
2: Well, because we were talking before we started recording and you very impressively reeled off (laughs) Kevin Smith's filmography in order, which, listeners, it was literally... I was sitting here reading the Wikipedia article down as, as Andy was going through. And I'll be completely honest, I've not actually seen that many of his movies, which, regrettably, I think, because... I think a lot of them are, are considered, you know, cool classics now. You've only seen Mallrats, Dogma, Zack and Miri make a porno, and, well, Jane, Silent Bob Strike Back and the Jane Silent Bob reboot, and that's it. Yeah. And so I feel like Kevin Smith, I know of him and I know some of his movies, but I don't go out of my way to necessarily watch them, which is interesting, actually, because I've always wanted to see Chasing Amy, but I've just never got around to watching it. Hmm. Maybe it was because I never felt really an affinity to Morrats, rats, which was probably one of the earlier ones that I saw. And I just, I, I just didn't enjoy it, I guess. And then I distinctly remember seeing Dogma. And I distinctly remember it, renting it from the video store, the same video store that I rented The Mummy from. <laughs> and I just really, really enjoyed it. And it became like a firm favourite. And obviously we can talk about the availability issues with dogma a bit later on but it feels like in a way a bit of a missed opportunity because i really genuinely feel like dogma for me is kevin smith's best movie bearing in mind that i've only seen like four others right so. right
1: I, I i i will agree with you on that this is his i i feel like this is the high point of his movies where like it was building up to this and you can see the if you if you watch clerks and you watch the way that clerks is made versus how dogma is made better better cinematography he had a better idea like the camera moves a lot more in dogma than it does in any of the movies that that preceded this especially clerks clerks is nothing but two shots and a couple of wide shots it's very it's a very tight kind of claustrophobic movie mall rats i like mall rats do not get me wrong i i enjoy mall rats but mall rats is it's just one of those movies that got a big budget for <laughs> uh <laughs> i don't i don't really have anything and then chasing amy's like his indie film where the the writing was getting there but i still don't feel like he kind of got the whole filmmaking gig but with Dogma Dogma is it it is very polished it shows that he actually can direct as well as write a, a fairly solid movie but then moving forward from that especially within the the universe, it's things just kind of trans- transgress down to more of the the stoner comedy where there's a lot of fourth wall breaks, a lot of like wink and nods to the audience that you you didn't get up to this point. There were references to the other movies in Dogma, but no one is they're, they're kind of like they're they're blinking, you miss them or if you're not watching it with headphones on or with good sound, you can't hear that Jay is telling Loki about when they were trying to defeat LaFour's in in Rats with the swinging over the scaffolding and everything. The bat, the whole Batman homage. At least I'll call it an homage. There were like little things there, but it wasn't a... There, there were scenes in Jane Silent Bob where they make a mention of it. Why would anyone want to watch that? And then they just all turn and look at the camera. You know, you know what I'm saying? That
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like... It's almost like setting up a cutaway that's not there. It's it's become...
1: It, I think it's fine for movies to be meta. I feel it's very difficult to do a meta movie that doesn't look like it's trying too hard, that it's pandering to an audience to, to just try that hard to do it. Uh, it just, I mean... With, with with the movies going forward, and this is why I feel like Dogma is is the pinnacle, because it just feels like, from that point on, he did try something different. After Janson and Bobby did Jersey Girl, it didn't do well. It wasn't a good movie. However, it does have a one great line, which is, Cats is the second worst thing to ever happen to the city of New York. And from there, it was like he just went back to the, the well. He would go back... Jay and Silent Bob are characters that have been around now for close to 30 years. Dante and Randall are the same thing. And they're all coming back again later this year. So we're 28 years out from the release of Clerks, and we are still seeing these characters. And... It's, I I mean, I know everyone's mileage is going to vary with Kevin Smith. I know a lot of people who, when I asked the question, was Kevin Smith's best film, that a lot of people brought it all the way up to Clerks 2. At Clerks 2 is really like, that's the line of demarcation for a lot of people. Where all of a sudden the, it goes, the quality of his films go down. So, sorry, I went off on a rant. Yeah. My bad.
2: No, no, no. One of the reasons why I want you to go off on rants is because my Kevin Smith film knowledge is not as great and genuinely if I'd have had time to sit and watch some of his filmography I probably would have yeah just to get some of that context for particular scenes in Dogma where they're clearly referencing something but obviously I don't know exactly what they're referencing <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen Morats. and I do actually own Zach and Miri I would actually like to watch that again because I found that to be quite enjoyable but it's oh, charming. The,
1: the... It's it's yeah. a very charming movie, considering, you know, its title and subject matter. It is a very charming movie. And honestly, I was just happy that they gave Jeff Anderson and Jason Mewes something to do that wasn't Randall and Jay. But like Dogma was like a test run where the the prophets could have been anybody. They could have literally mm-hmm. been anybody. But I feel like it was a test run to see how... Because this is the longest Jane, Silent Bob appear in a movie. They're always... I mean, up to this point, they're relegated side characters. A clerks, they're just there. I think they might have 10, maybe 15 minutes of total screen time. Mallrats, roughly about the same. 10, 15 minutes of screen time. Chasing Amy is a five-minute scene. One single five-minute scene. And then this, they, they come in very early on. I think in the first 15 minutes of the movie they show up and then they're there the entire time. The only time you don't see them on screen is when the scene isn't one with Bethany.
2: So as I mentioned in the production history, this was basically a movie that was 28 years in the making. So this was obviously something that was personal for Kevin Smith. And I really do think that that shows on screen that it is a more personal project for him. And maybe that is because of what it actually covers. I feel like I should be very upfront and say that I'm agnostic. not a particular follower of faith, but I believe that people should be free to follow their faith, whatever that faith may be. And just because I don't believe that there's a God, it doesn't mean that other people can't believe that there's a God, (laughs) if you know what I mean. I'm not particularly qualified in Catholicism. And this was something that I mentioned back in the episode that I did on Constantine was you know, all of this stuff in Constantine about Catholicism and, you know, what Catholicism means. And it obviously means different things to different people. But one of the things that I get from this movie in particular is obviously it's rooted so deeply in Catholicism. It is a controversial subject, but I think the thing that stands out for me with Dogma is it still feels very ambitious. And not just because of its Catholic roots. It feels like an ambitious project, just generally. But I feel like the controversy surrounding dogma is probably something that we need to talk about. But obviously, I want to be quite careful and respectful in how we do talk about dogma. This movie asks a very important question about whether any particular topic should be immune from things like satire and parody. And one of the things that immediately always comes to mind when I think of a movie like Dogma is a movie like Monty Python's Life of Brian. I assume you've seen that movie. I'm oh, sure you have
1: many, many times. I've seen the Life of Brian. Of course. Um, it's yeah, religion is an interesting thing because I feel that there's so much. I mean, forgive me for saying this. There's so much comedic gold that you can mine. Out of religion. This is something the Simpsons are are still doing to this day where, you know, we respect the Bible, even the parts of the Bible that contradict the other parts of the Bible. It's, you know, and this is, you know, this is coming from a lapsed Catholic. Another thing Kevin Smith and I both have common, that we are both former Catholics. I am agnostic with at least five toes in atheism. So but I'm again I'm not one of these people that will shun other people's beliefs. That is the word the underlying word there is beliefs. This is what you believe, this is what I believe, and never the twain shall meet. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a lot about like the when you when you look at something like Life of Brian, the way that they they tackle religion, a lot of it is based on prophecy and based on charting someone who has got a parallel life to the life of Jesus Christ, and ends up pretty much in the same way, except the his followers are not as, as great at their messaging or anything, and they're all a bunch of idiots, or else they would have taken him off that cross at the end of The Life of Brian, instead of having him singing with, with Eric Idle and everybody. With Dogma, I don't feel like the... Re- the, the the religiosity of it, if that's a word, is I don't think I don't really feel like they're poking fun at it. I feel like they are. They they've noticed things, especially in terms of papal infallibility, which is a big one. Things about like, you know, that just that religious dogma, where if they prove that God is wrong, it undoes the entire universe. These little things that the people who wrote this stuff down didn't quite think of. And, you know, this is what stoners think of. They get high and all of a sudden they're, they're talking about, <laughs> you know, man, what happens if, like, they forgive everybody for their sins, but God was the one that cast them down? At, you know, that kind of thing. What would what would cause that <laughs> to happen, man? So it's, it, I feel like, I, I don't feel like this is a, a subject that is too taboo. I feel like the way that this is done, as I don't even—it's—I don't even think it's satire, nor is it parody. It's commentary, but it is a very polite commentary. Where, if 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 it were impolite, if we're impolitical, if it were, if this were some kind of like really just kind of like half-assed satire, Bethany would not find faith, she would find her faith being restored at the end of it she would have just kind of gone off with that lack of faith. But she found faith because she understood what her part, you know, what her role in the universe was, even though she loses her faith faith because all of these other things had to happen for her to to get to that point without realizing what she was and what her role in the, the grand scheme of everything was.
2: Yeah. What I really like about this movie specifically is that I think this movie is very cleverly written in that it's not saying we're gonna take the piss out of god right it's actually being i think quite respectful and i'm I'm obviously talking from someone who doesn't actually believe that there is one but i think that this movie is actually trying to be respectful to catholicism in a in a weird way because it, it is taking these things that are contradictory and where you have organized religions that do branch off into these segregated areas of each religion and and each area kind of has their own beliefs because they're interpreting what they're reading in the bible for example and they're either taking it quite literally as it's written or they're interpreting it another way to prove their beliefs are correct and sometimes That is a positive thing. I don't know passages from the Bible, so I'm not going to start going into passages that I don't know. But, you know, the whole, just as an example, love thy neighbor. You know, you could take that quite literally and fall in love with your neighbor because that's what the Bible says. Or you could just, you know, reach over the fence, give them a bit of a handshake and say, hi, how are you? How's your family? You know, it's however you interpret that particular thing. Right. I feel like because there are so many different sort of segregated areas of of religions that will take those words and make them fit to their own theologies, that can be a positive thing. It can also be a negative thing as well. That can be taken in a way that will then fit their own rhetoric. So if they are, for example... Someone who is against something like homosexuality or indeed, you know, it's topical. So I think we can talk about it. The Roe versus Wade and the reversing of that, they will fit their theologies and their beliefs and basically say, oh, well, this is what God wants because it's written in the Bible or whatever. But that's their interpretation of what's written. It's not generally what the rest of the world thing uh yeah about that subject
1: yeah uh, absolutely absolutely I mean there are a lot of tenets of religion which I agree with just and primarily and just it boils down to just being a, a just, just basic human decency so mm-hmm. finding these excuses and we, and we see this all the time you go on Facebook you go on and mainly, this is a Facebook thing. I don't feel like this is a Twitter thing, but on Facebook, you do see a lot of those those things where if your religion teaches you to hate people, then your religion sucks. If your you know there, I've seen more love in atheists than I have in religious people with hate in their hearts. That kind of that kind of thing. It's it. It's tough because Catholicism is its own thing, and it's it's a large, it's a very very large group of it. I mean, for for God's sakes, they actually have their own country in Europe. The, the Vatican Vatican is its own sovereign nation. So it's you know, and they have a, they have a central figure. They have the Pope, and it's it's interesting now because I, I feel like outside of maybe the issues with homosexuality and abortion. Catholicism doesn't really have a whole lot of other things that they get upset about. And even still, I feel like the Catholic Church is is just kind of like sitting this one out while the evangelicals all just make themselves look ridiculous. But again, I'm not I'm not qualified to talk about that. I didn't I
2: <laughs>
1: I studied maybe a year of, oh, like, a semester of theology as a course in college. And that was about it. So it's... <laughs> I learned a lot about a lot of other religions, but, uh, you know, ma- mainly all the uh, Protestant religions. But I you know, I don't know how qualified I am to talk about this other than I feel like, you know, getting on, getting on to the point about the protests and everything, that this was, this was the same thing with Life of Brian, where... You haven't seen they haven't seen the movie, but a religious figure is being spoofed, parody, made a caricature of and people are gonna get upset. Same thing with dogma. I know that this is I'm probably jumping the gun here on what you wanted to talk about, but
2: No, you feel free to say whatever you feel that you need to say.
1: But like I know that Kevin Smith had conversations with leaders of the church about dogma and it, you know it's just the typical it's an affront to god it's a affront to the catholic religion it's like well have you seen it and the the answer with this just as with life O'Brien 40 years ago is no i didn't see this it's like okay well how can you make that assertion i'm co- i'm coming from a place where i am or was a Catholic, I am aware of the tenets of Catholicism. I did communion. I did, you know, confirmation. I did all of that. And at the end, and I've mentioned this, that the the protagonist, the, the main character of this this film, doesn't leave the movie jaded. She's kind of kind of coming back to the church, if you will. <laughs> I do I do appreciate though that Kevin Smith, when when the protests were going on, he gave, went out there with a big sign that said "Dogmas Dog." And they got upset with him over that.
2: So basically, he's he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Seriously, Literally. he can't even
1: he can't even protest <laughs> his own movie. Uh.
2: No, I know. I obviously don't want this episode to be the verbal diorama Catholicism hour. Speak. I don't speak Latin. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> well, you know, like like they say in Buffy, don't speak Latin around the books um, <laughs> because you know they'll burst into flame. Yeah, but. Obviously you mentioned the opening disclaimer at the at the start of this episode and I think that's one of the most interesting things about this movie is that it's almost like this movie is sort of warning people that you know you might get offended but also you might actually really enjoy this movie if you take it for what it is yeah which is actually a really smart and astute and funny and quite a heartfelt movie because for all of the, I mean, let's be honest, it is a little bit problematic. There's quite a lot of groping and, uh, <laughs> you know, especially when it comes to like Jay, you know, Jay. You is... were
1: saying that this film mainly aged well? Yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, <laughs> For the most part. <laughs> it, for, for the most part, you know, I mean, obviously I was mainly thinking about Jay, actually. Yeah. Just generally. Yeah, that that character hasn't aged particularly well. I feel like those characters specifically, they don't really seem to evolve, you know, as characters. They tend to kind of be the same. There was maybe a little bit of evolution in the reboot, maybe. But I guess that kind of goes from the real-life relationship that those pair have. And obviously, it's well publicised about Jason Mewes' drug problems and and all of that but one of the things i really liked about this movie is actually the fact that jay and silent bob are both pro-choice and they come out and they say that they're pro-choice which in a movie from 1999 i picked up on that straight away when i watched it last weekend i all right i just feel like that's incredibly relevant in a movie about catholicism
1: I I know, and I was thinking about that too, especially because I watched this a few days ago with the notes in hand that you had already sent me, and I'm like, yeah, no, they are pro-choice, and I just wish that it wasn't completely undermined in the very next line. What a, you know, they were hanging around an abortion clinic because they were looking for loose women. I know. It's just it's like oh, and this is this is what kills me about the character of jay is that he he will immediately make problematic a movie that has you know i mean for the most part it's it's his stuff it's his stuff that is just really like it's cringy i mean silent bob is has got the benefit of being the silent one and he you know one will not talk the other one will talk a lot whether you want him to <laughs> or not and i it's it's just, it's it's lines like that, where you know that the whole thing with him just trying to proposition Bethany for sex the entire time, and it's just again, I as I said earlier, it it feels like this was their test run. This was their test run to see how yeah. well Jay and Silent Bob could not just be background supporting characters. They're no longer the Rosencrantz and Gildenstern of this 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 universe. But yeah, no, you're right, though. I like the fact that not only do I like the fact that they are pro-choice, but the fact that Bethany is a practicing Catholic who also works at a family planning center.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels remarkably progressive because one of the criticisms that I often see levied at Kevin Smith is that, and obviously I've not seen all his movies, so maybe you can enlighten me on this, is that most people as far as i've read on the internet criticize him for his female characters and that maybe his female characters aren't particularly well-rounded shall we say um
1: i, um, I and i'm going please. i'm going through his entire filmography at this point and bethany is probably his his best written female character because she's not she's looking for whether or not the thing that she has spent so much time struggling with has been worth all this time. If the whole journey has been worth it the entire time. She alone will actually, her scene with Serendipity in the uh, the strip club, it, it passes the Bechtel test. But uh, yeah, she is, she's a well-written character. Smith's dialogue can get, like... He, you can spot where he really wanted to put a line in there, whether or not the line needed to be there, and didn't care what the delivery was. And as much as I love Salma Hayek, she's got some. There is some line delivery that she's got that is absolutely. I would have done another take on that. <laughs> I just, I would have. You're, you're <laughs> inflecting on the wrong part of that sentence, on, And I love Salma Hayek, so do not get me wrong. And as a single, what was it, 27 at the time, a single 27 year old at the time, it was like. Oh, awesome! Okay, this is great. So,
2: <laughs> how she's introduced? Well, I was it's
1: when I think I of mean, Candy Girl, I was you know, say, uh, and new additions from my neck of the woods.
2: Um, so. <laughs> she's very easy on the eyes, isn't she? Yeah, uh, beautiful. Still, somebody.
1: still to this day. But um,
2: oh, absolutely.
1: But I feel like yeah, it her character is is so well written, and again, if we're just grading Bethany on. Previous or future Kevin Smith female characters, she's still a great character because she is she is Kevin Smith's personified in this in terms of his struggles with religion. This isn't Joy Lauren Adams' character in Chasing Amy, which was just like it the the way that it was written was almost like this is what I believe a lesbian acts like or a lesbian who is been sexually active with men as well she she doesn't seem like a real human being bethany actually feels like a real human being you know descended from jesus or not she just seems like she's a she is a solid character and not a i think kevin smith has two ideas for how women are are portrayed in his movies they're either angels or there were harpies. And if you actually look at the way that he he treats women in other films, you haven't seen Clerks, so you don't know the dichotomy between Dante's ex-girlfriend that he still pines for and his current girlfriend who is an angel and dotes on him and Dante just doesn't know how to handle that because he's still in love with his old girlfriend. It's This is, a, this is definitely his best female character, hands down.
2: And it's quite interesting as well because everything that I've read about, you know, the making of this movie and Obviously, how this movie came about was that Kevin Smith and Linda Fiorentino did not get along at all. And sometimes I feel like when you have a situation where your leading actress and your director don't get along, I feel like sometimes that can come across in the movie. But I never saw that in this movie. And obviously, I know that's the point because they're acting and that's the point of acting, is you're pretending to be something that you're not. But I find that quite fascinating.
1: Yeah, and- I find it interesting, too, that, you know, because I, I know about that, too. And I know that it, he was kind of regretting not putting Janine Garofalo in that role. I don't know how that would have gone, you know, in, in, in the multiverse somewhere, there was a dogma where Janine Garofalo was playing Bethany Sloan. But I don't, know if, I don't know how familiar you are with Linda Fiorentino's filmography to that point. But she was going to be the next Kathleen Turner. She was going to. Be, she was a femme fatale. She had that smoky voice. If you've ever seen the movie The Last Seduction, which is a criminally underrated thriller that she's in, she is fantastic in that. Even the way they kind of like filmed her in Men in Black, where Will Smith says that you know she's got like that groovy you know Queen of the Dead vibe to her, to to kind of make her just look like a normal person I I feel is a, it's kind of a compliment to what how he he might not have felt personally about her but how he felt professionally about her
2: mm-hmm. yeah I really do feel like that comes across and I feel like she is actually like you say she is the best character the best written female character in your opinion in many people's opinions that he's ever done but I also feel like she really cements this movie because if the Bethany character doesn't work then none of it works Mm -hmm. because you have to have Bethany. You have to believe in Bethany and you have to believe that Bethany has lost her faith or is struggling with her faith. For everything else, everything kind of comes off Bethany in this movie. And I think that's one of the most impressive things about this movie is that although her career didn't quite pan out much after this, her performance literally grounds this whole movie and, and makes this movie better than it would be if she wasn't in it and obviously she is supported by literally a who's who of the late 90s you know when we're talking about supporting casts yeah obviously i feel like we have to talk about alan rickman because we talked at length about alan rickman in the episode that we did on galaxy quest and obviously just how missed alan rickman is as a performer as a human being and I think that I thought that Alan Rickman was in this movie more than he was, but I think that's how powerful he is as a performer, is that you think that he's in it more yep. than he is, but he's actually not, but he makes such an impact for me in this movie. He's
1: literally in three scenes in this movie, and <laughs> I he is, I, I think, in terms of just overall performances, it goes without saying Alan Rickman's going to give the best performance, and he is, I, I love how they take the character, the, the Metatron, the voice of God. Bethany, does, who is a lifelong Catholic, isn't familiar with him because it wasn't featured in a, you know, if it's not in a movie, it's not worth knowing. Now is it? You know, it's, he's, he's so good in it. I mean, there, there were certain things, towards the end, I felt like they, they let him vamp a little too much with the the whole, like, he had gotten blood on his on his suit and she missed a spot. And it was just kinda of like, it was like, the camera might've just still been rolling at that point and they just decided to leave it in there. But I mean, he gives a fantastic performance in here. And because he's just got that voice, it's just, that's that's the voice of God. It's just it's the voice of God. If you, It's either him it's, or Morgan Freeman, you know, right? You know, it's-
2: Yeah, it actually is literally the voice of God. He just gives such a brilliant performance. It's one of those things where you obviously need to have the Bethany character. She needs to anchor the whole movie. And you could probably get away with having some dodgy supporting character who's not that great. But I really do feel like, I know you mentioned Salma Hayek with, you know, maybe a couple of lines is not quite right. But otherwise, I feel like everyone is on their A game in this movie because no one's slacking. You know, you've got Chris Rock improvising on lines, and Chris Rock is obviously. Fantastic comedian, just generally. I find that this is one of my favorite things that he's ever done, just because he's just so sharp and witty and funny. And even like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, they probably, you know, were the least known at the time coming off of Goodwill Hunting, but they're so great in this movie. I really don't genuinely have that much criticism about this movie. No, no, and I with the thing with
1: Affleck and Damon's performances in this movie is that the the shift in attitude, yeah. between the two of them, where Loki is, you know, he is the hammer of vengeance. He's the one that that takes out the entire movie boardroom, and Bartleby is is just convinced you just you just go a little overboard. Let's let's get back on track with what we're doing here. When that switches. When Loki is all of a sudden now unsure about it and tired from tired from the slaughter and Bartleby is is the is is leading this expedition now and in, in dropping people from the sky because they unearth their wings. It's some it's it's some really good acting. It's it's you know, it's one of those things because Ben Affleck doesn't get nearly as much credit as being, you know, for being a good actor in comparison to Matt Damon, who's, who's phenomenal in practically everything he does. Matt Damon. That's a shout-out to another episode.
2: It is. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I just, I, lo- I love their, they those two together work so well, especially at this time, because this is right after Goodwill Hunting. This is right after they won that screenwriting Oscar. And that's like, in terms of pairings, the only person who knew how to pair them other than Gus Van Sant was... Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith knew their strengths and their weaknesses, and were able to take to, to get them in that moment and that that moment, in Amber, where they're both at the pinnacle of their career. And then you know when they when they bring them back two years later for Jay and Silent Bob, things had changed at that point where Affleck was getting roles he had no business being in, or you know doing the paycheck roles, and they're making fun of him for. For, like, the types of movies he, he had been taking after, after Dogma.
2: It's interesting how their careers have panned out in the preceding 23 years yep. since this movie. But it, it's actually really nice to see them together, because I feel like, you know, after Good Will Hunting, just to keep that pairing together was a really smart idea, because if you are going to have two renegade angels who are basically working together to try and get back into heaven it makes sense to have two people who are known for working together yeah to get something done (laughs) so it's meta in a way but it actually really works for this movie and it works for the cast i really don't feel like anyone you know even someone who's in it very briefly someone like jason lee still really brings it for me yeah he's basically the catalyst for all of this and he was the one who gave Loki and Bartleby the idea to actually do this. And it could be quite a throwaway character, but it's still given quite a lot of gravitas, which I like. And the fact that Kevin Smith, obviously, he does reuse a lot of his actors time and time again, obviously, as you've already said. Not Linda Fiorentino, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, the vast majority of this cast, he he reused for, for other projects and he had used previously. So it's obviously a cast that he... Is used to working with primarily. Yeah, um, and I think that really does come through in this movie. Is there anyone who we haven't talked about that you would oh, like to talk about?
1: I uh, So George Carlin is in this movie. George Carlin it yes. didn't do. It. George Carlin didn't do a lot of acting. So the fact that he he had been gotten for three. Yeah, he had been in three Kevin Smith movies. He was in this. He was in Jane Sound Bob. He was in Jersey Girl. He had a much larger role in in Jersey Girl. It's an interesting character, mainly because if if I kind of feel like if if I were still a like, practicing Catholic, I feel like his Cardinal Glick might be the most offensive part of the entire movie, just based on him just kind of that that stereotype, the caricature of the of the Catholic cardinal who is, you know, they're they're running the church business. I always found it weird. I remember the first time I ever saw a priest smoke a cigarette. And I always thought that was weird, and that was a thing that Cardinal Click does in this movie. I didn't realize that, oh, okay, you can do that. They can actually drink, too. Didn't know that either. Just can't get married. So I found that a little weird. Some of his line delivery was very, like, I. there wasn't a time where I wasn't watching it and not thinking, okay, that's George Carlin. That's George Carlin. Even at the beginning when he... Talks about the rededication of the church and talks about the Buddy Christ and everything. It just, this is George. They they just put George Carlin in in the robes, in the beanie, and just let him just, just Carlin all over the place. And I love George <laughs> Carlin, and I felt like it was just kind of a, all right, I'm I'm fine, I'm fine with it. You know, I love him, so I'll, I'll I'm gonna cut him infinite slack.
2: Because isn't he a famous atheist as well?
1: Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's one of those comedians that is, he's got a lot of great ideas that have been, been, you just been like appropriated by people who don't quite get the message.
2: Obviously, I, I feel like we're missing the biggest character in this movie, the one that made the most cultural impact and the one that I think we're still talking about to this day. And you did briefly mention him. I think we need to talk about the Buddy Christ. Because the Buddy Christ is... It it literally gets wheeled out a lot on Twitter, the old Buddy Christ.
1: It's... The thing with the Buddy Christ is the first time I saw it, I found it to be endlessly hilarious. It... To me, just seeing it on the big screen for the very first time is very similar to the first time I saw the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and Ghostbusters on the big screen. Which is mean to say I nearly wet myself laughing. It's a, it's such an image. It's so, and the closer you get to it, you can buy replicas of the Buddy Christ in a myriad of different sizes. And I love it because this is the Jesus that we want, that we really want to, to get behind. He's, he's. He's relaxed. He's loose. He's just giving you the finger guns. But he's still got the stigmata. I noticed that. He's still got the stigmata on both of his hands, even with the finger guns and the wink. And it's just like it's – I feel like, if anything, that's something that one of Kevin Smith's friends did at some point. Like they just did – one of these, and he's like, "Hold that pose for a second. I'm just, I want to sketch that out. We are, we are putting this in a movie somewhere. I just don't know where yet." Um, well,
2: let me tell you, the obligatory Keanu reference that I was going to use for this episode was literally that if you squint at the Buddy Christ, that could be Keanu Reeves, because he's got the Keanu beard. You know, yeah. there's a lot of similarities there between Keanu and the Buddy Christ. Uh, so up that. Well, it is now. It is going to be the obligatory Keanu reference of this episode. We're just a little bit early on it.
1: Yeah. It's... No, that, that, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see that. I can see that.
2: Yeah. And, you know, Keanu could rock the finger guns. Yeah. At some point. I'm sure there's a photo of him somewhere rocking the finger guns. I don't doubt so. that. So, we've obviously talked in a roundabout way about, you know, the Catholicism and everything in this movie and the fact that people do tend to try and push their religious beliefs on others depending on you know using faith as a weapon and all of that sort of stuff i really feel like when we're talking about a movie like dogma i genuinely think especially when we're talking about 90s movies and i know this is a 1999 movie and i don't tend to class 1999 movies in the realm of 90s movies because 90s movies do tend to overtly be quite offensive. And this is offensive to some people in its own way. But I feel like this movie is a lot more inclusive than most 90s movies are. Just generally in in how it feels and the subjects that it tackles. Little things that kind of feel like, to me, must be general fact, despite what the general consensus is, is... Obviously, Chris Rock's character of Rufus being the 13th Apostle and no one's heard of him because he's the black man and he obviously mentions that Jesus is a black man but obviously no one wanted Jesus to be a black man so, you know, he's basically been written as a white man for all of uh, existence. And and all of that stuff kind of, it, it still feels quite relevant to today in a sense that you really do feel like if there was a 13th Apostle and he was, black that that probably would have been written out by you know Catholicism and technically if you think about where we know Jesus came from the Middle East it's not outside of the realm of the possibility that Jesus could have been black or dark-skinned it's like stating what probably are facts and it's doing it so confidently and so and so brazen Really? Yeah. And I like that. Yeah, I, I. just not afraid to state these things.
1: I, I like that too, and I feel like it's a it, it very because it, it, it does get you to think, and you can, you know, you can picture Jesus however you want. There's, there's nothing stopping you from, you know, thinking Jesus is black, Jesus is white, Jesus is still a baby, like in Talladega Nights*. You know, it's a. Sorry, I just watched that the other night. The I, I, I like the. Not only do I like how They bring that up, but I love how Chris Rock describes him. I love how Rufus just says he just loved to listen to us, just he would just listen to us, no matter how stupid the conversation was. He just enjoyed being there and listening to us. And it's just like, this is again, this is this is a good dude, this is somebody who really could get people to to join in together. He was. Part of the group, head of the ship, but still part of the group, and I, I love, I love that about this. And I, yeah, I, I agree too that it well, it's not out of the own possibility. All twelve apostles, or thirteen, were all darker skinned because again, it was, it's the Middle East. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense.
2: No, it really and doesn't.
1: And in terms of offensive. There's a literal demon made of poop in this movie, yeah, And exactly. it's just, exactly. it's like that's that's about as '90s as this movie gets. Where Holden, Ben Affleck's character, in Chasing Amy, says that the only way you're going to make money is with <laughs> fart jokes, and this is like the closest thing they get to that in this entire movie is the Golgothan, the 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 poop demon, and uh, which is fine. It it kind of qualifies it in that '90s gross out humor that was very prevalent in this this era of the you know this portion of the 90s but I'm sorry I was again I'm just jumping in here with no, thoughts no,
2: no. that's what a podcast is for I just really love the fact if you're taking a story that is fundamentally about faith and and about the stories that make up a faith such as Catholicism I really like the fact that what Kevin Smith does with this movie is he humanizes these characters. But he doesn't just humanise the characters on screen. He also humanises characters like Jesus. Yeah. Um, It goes out of its way to actually say, no, look, you know, Jesus is a good dude. I really like him. He's not what you think he is. But then, really, the point of this movie is nothing is what you think it is. It's all down to interpretation. Because throughout the movie, God is referred to as him and he. And it's really only Serendipity who refers to God as a woman, which I found quite interesting. But it's making a point that to Serendipity, God uses female pronouns. To other people who talk about God, like the Metatron, it's always he, him. But then when we meet God, I feel like this is the version of God that Bethany wants to see. It might not be the version of God that everyone wants to see, but this is the version of God that Bethany specifically needs to see because this is her story, and I really love it's lot Morissette because that that's a genius choice.
1: That that is a that is a great choice because it's. It's stunt casting without actually having to make her do anything other than just react to a few things. She literally has no lines in the entire movie. I will question, though, why, if you can't hear anything that comes out of God's mouth, why that little... That she does to Bethany's nose didn't cause her chest to cave in. But, yeah, that's nitpicking at this
2: point. (laughs) I mean... A small oversight, maybe God is powerful enough to be able to control the way that she reacts. If you are a religious person, whatever you believe, whatever your interpretation is of your faith, as far as this movie is concerned, there is something there for you. And I really like that, even as a person who doesn't follow religion and doesn't follow faith, I can still appreciate this movie for saying, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe in what you believe. Yeah. And ultimately, that is Bethany's journey. It's going from her questioning her faith and basically everything that she's been led to believe throughout, you know, her life. And as a woman, you know, I can really relate to Bethany's situation in a sense of obviously Bethany mentions that she had a husband and he's no longer around. And she obviously mentions the fact that she couldn't have a child. And we're kind of led to believe that that's the reason that he's no longer around. And, you know, when we're talking about a story about faith and about what you believe, sometimes it's really hard to include conversations when it comes to things like fertility and stuff like that. Because it's a very personal choice for a lot of people. But it's really difficult when you really want something. And you can't have that thing. And you've been brought up that if you are a good person, then good things will happen to you. So it's natural that you're going to question, well, I've been a good person all my life. You know, I've not sinned. I've not done anything bad. I've confessed to my sins. All of the stuff that good Catholics are supposed to do. And yet to have that taken away from you, it must be incredibly difficult to be in that situation and to be a follower of faith.
1: Oh, absolutely. Because I yeah. feel
2: like you, you would question your faith in that situation. And you would question, this was supposed to be my journey. This was supposed to be my story. And that got taken away from me. And the whole, you know, why is God punishing me angle? I think serendipity says, I don't know the exact quote, but she says about you're taking the words of God and you're interpreting them in your own way. Your hearts are in the right place but you're not quite there. And I just really like that description because I feel like this movie could quite easily go out of its way to really rip into organized religions and Catholicism. What are your thoughts on the ultimate message of the movie? How do, What do you feel the ultimate message of this movie is?
1: I, I feel like the message of this movie is is very, very, very close to what you had said, that it's... It's your own. You're going to need to take your own personal journey with your faith, and if you you can't always be shown that, you know, you, you can't always have this 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 cross country road trip adventure with with finding your faith or what what keeps you what keeps you whole, what keeps you sane, something that makes you feel comforted. It's tough for me to think about what message I'm taking away from this movie, other than Jay still sucks. Bob is still a good person. I will, I will say that. Like Bob is genuinely a good, caring person, and I, I do, I, I feel like we need to listen to what Serendipity said about us. We need to celebrate our faith more than just mourn it. And that's that. That's a big. That's a big part of of, of Bethany's journey was that you know she. It's almost like she was blaming herself for still having this faith and feeling bad, bad about doing that. Whereas, you know, it wasn't her, it was her, you know, she got sick. Her husband left her because she couldn't have kids and apparently has a new wife and children and all that stuff.
2: Maybe that goes some way to me empathizing with Bethany more Mm -hmm. than most, but I, I, You know, we've already talked about her character. I really do feel like her character is the absolute linchpin of this whole movie. There were obviously huge protests from Catholics. There was the Catholic League did this huge protest, which, as you said, Kevin Smith attended. And this was before the film was even released, so they had not seen it and to be honest i can imagine that they are probably so you know resentful and bitter that they probably will never see this movie i mean it goes without saying i think that the protests were not from the actual catholic church itself it was more of an offshoot of the church but yeah it's not like the divine. vatican
1: said go you know go go do protest in my name or anything exactly. like that it's it was yeah. the new jersey diocese that that went out and they were just really upset about about this movie and without having seen it again probably still haven't seen it yet and good luck trying to find a copy of this Wow,
2: well, this is what i was going to come to boom because yeah this movie is not available on streaming services it will probably never be available on streaming services because the rights are personally owned by the weinsteins including you know convicted sexual abuser harvey weinstein it's out of print on DVD yep. as well. So if you ever do find a DVD of this movie, then grab it because it's incredibly hard to find. And that's to the detriment of this movie because more people should be able to see this movie. It should be available. We should have been able to celebrate its 20th anniversary.
1: found it on YouTube for U.S. listeners. I found the entire movie commercial free on YouTube which is how I went okay. to back to rewatch it. I own I own like the first edition DVD of this that had zero special features, which drove me a little nuts because at this point I loved the commentary tracks on the Kevin Smith movies. This one didn't include one and I don't think did until later releases, but there is you can find the whole movie on YouTube commercial free again, so which was which was really nice to be able to just sit back and watch it that way.
2: I own this movie on DVD and I'm so glad that I own it on DVD because this is a movie that I feel like I haven't seen in a while, but I feel like I want to revisit more. Yeah. I actually want to have the experience of watching this movie more than I do. And I think it's one of those that I'm going to actually try and watch a little bit more just because I really feel like this movie definitely deserves not so much re-evaluation because I feel like the original evaluation of this movie was pretty spot on. And yes, we've we've already said it doesn't quite hold up to you know a modern audience and modern sensibilities, and it is mainly the character of Jay yep. who is atrocious. The special effects, the the practical effects, still look good, like the wings and everything. I like think the wings look, look good.
1: The flight scene, like full body flight scene, looked awful. Just the one mm-hmm. of Bartleby, just just flying above, looked. You know, it's. There are, you know, I I enjoy the fact that there wasn't a lot of use of CG in this. Very little, actually. Because most of the special effects were all were all practical, which which I I appreciated.
2: Oh, I did too. You
1: know, so <laughs> I think there were some tra- like some CG transition shots with the uh, like Azriel's horns and yeah, Jay hitting him with the uh, the driving club. Um.
2: Oh yes, that that didn't look so great either, did it? it and the. the sh- demon as well there was a cg
1: it's oh that was i know i feel like yeah i think it was but it was mainly a practice it was it was a it was a suit i believe that for the most part yeah it was a a practical suit
2: but um, yeah
1: but uh, mm. you know otherwise you know other than that though i felt like the the, there wasn't a you know which is interesting for a movie that is about biblical characters that there aren't a lot of special effects in this movie and i'm glad that if kevin smith was going to cut his teeth on visual effects at all this is the first movie where he really had visual effects implemented that they were minimal and he didn't try to like go overboard on them like you see with some indie indie directors who get like that first big budget special effects driven blockbuster and it's just that they don't know they don't know how to use the special effects properly so I I appreciate that yeah. he had he was able to just kind of get like a you know visual effects one on one on this the effect, the wing effects I think the overall wing effects look fantastic the the puppeteering mm. on them is fantastic
2: Yeah absolutely So with with all of that said with our conversation on dogma almost complete with our religious faith restored even though you know neither of us actually had need to restore in the first place I guess we're going to have to say goodbye and you know it's never never easy to say goodbye especially to someone who has literally been a guest three times and has you know come on this podcast three times to talk about three incredible movies from 1999 (laughs) i'm so grateful to you for coming back on verbal diorama thank you so much you are doing this
1: you're so welcome it's been the, the honor is all mine i am thrilled i could be back to do this it's been too long and i know
2: it, it it has been and i can only apologize again because no, all i do is applaud don't, wor- don't you like worry about crapness. it don't
1: worry about it <laughs>
2: <laughs> this has been such a an incredible conversation about dogma taking your lapsed catholicism and your incredible knowledge of kevin smith and yeah i could not have done this episode without you genuinely so i'm just so over the moon. So grateful to you. Obviously, take a moment, if you will, to tell the listeners where they can find Geek Salad. Obviously, I talk about Geek Salad a lot on episodes of Verbal Diorama, because obviously you you give your comments every episode. And I I always give you and the team at Geek Salad a bit of a plug when you do. But now is your opportunity to plug your own podcast all and right. tell people why they should listen to you.
1: I almost said that there was in the sh- all the info for the shows in the show notes. Well, you could get Geek Salad... <laughs> Wherever you get, uh, if you're listening to the Verbal Diorama right now, just just go search for Geek Salad Podcast. We are right there. We are your not your one stop shop for all things geeky. We we talk movies, video games, television, comic books, music. We just launched our episode on we ranked all the James Bond songs as our current episode it should still be our current episode when your episode is released but we are looking forward to continuing we've got 225 episodes under our belt we are kind of like the elder statesman of nerd podcasts now so i'm really excited for you to if you're if you haven't listened now you're hearing me talk if you're like Okay, well I heard him talk about heard him talk about dogma. Maybe I'll go check out his show cuz I know that's how we got Kurt Smith as a regular listener to our show was my involvement on I believe it was Galaxy Quest. So
2: Was it really I believe I, I believe, believe it
1: was. I believe it was Galaxy Quest. It was something about us coming together to do something where he was like, oh, he checked us out. Now he's one of our, he's one of our regulars. So yeah, no, definitely check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Also, we are on YouTube. We do maintain a YouTube channel. Geek Salad Podcast is the keyword you'll use there. And you, you can find our retro movie reviews as well as the audio for our podcast there currently right now my partner Mike and I are reviewing well, at this point now the rest of the James Bond movies we've been on a bond kick we're wrapping up next week with the Pierce Brosnan and kicking right into the Daniel Craig so check those out and thank you M so much for for allowing me to come on here and you know talk a little theology with you talk a little bit you know try to convert you try to convert myself back it's not gonna happen (laughs) is it um you don't
2: you don't need to convert me i i am a fully fledged member of the church of geek salad and you know this
1: oh i know that i know that and we even have our own brand of communion wafers i'm kidding so
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's genuinely been so much fun and I have been trying to get on a retro review, but the timings just haven't quite worked for us, have they? Uh, you so, know it's that. Hopefully, fingers crossed.
1: It's that damn ocean. That's the thing. It's that damned I ocean know. that that separates us. So
2: I know. <laughs> I know, but yeah, just you are so welcome anytime. You know this. I would not have had you on three times if. I didn't think that you weren't a completely fantastic person and a fantastic podcaster. So Thank you. Genuinely, you, you're you amazing. You've always been such a huge support for what I do. And, yeah, I'm, I'm just delighted to have you with me again. Huge thank you to Andy for joining me. And uh, thank you for listening to. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Dogma. And if you do want to support this podcast, that would be amazing. You can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You can retweet or like posts on social media. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd, that Verbal Diorama. Or you can tell your friends and family about this podcast and about what Verbal Diorama does. Now, throughout the month of August, I'm doing something called All Guest, which is a month of guest episodes, if you haven't realized yet. And guest episodes, they're always a little bit different. They're more discussion-based episodes. Regular episodes are full-on with the history and legacy, but guest episodes are more of a general conversation. But the feedback that I got on Basic Instinct, which was the previous episode, was so amazingly positive. So thank you so much for listening to that episode and for listening to this one. I really do appreciate it. Speaking of episodes, the next episode is the third episode of All Guest. And it's a bit of a last minute change to the lineup because I was going to have Sam from Movie Reviews in 20Qs returning to the podcast, but unfortunately, he was really sick and we tried to record it twice. And unfortunately, he was really sick both times, so we couldn't actually get around to recording anything. He's going to be coming back another time, so don't worry, Sam will return. But fortunately, I managed to get someone else and I managed to get someone else on really short notice as well, which was miraculous considering who it is. He is the newly appointed patron saviour of all guests because, as I said, this all came together really quickly. And not only is he fantastic, he also went above and beyond with the next episode. And you'll find out how when you listen next week because I'm going to be joined by Jack Chambers-Ward from Sequelizers. He is going to be coming on to chat about Alex Garland's directorial debut, sort of, as we'll come to, Ex Machina. And this is a movie that I've wanted to cover for such a long time. And trust me, Jack does not disappoint on this episode. So come back next week to hear that very lengthy, but brilliant conversation about Ex Machina. Jack is one of the patrons of this podcast. And if you want to join him and the other patrons, then you can do. You get access to early episodes, you get the schedule, you get freebies and you also get swears as well. There are a few swears in this episode that patrons get The regular people will not because the main feed is always going to be family friendly. As always, a huge thank you to the amazing patrons to Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D, Jason, Sonny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete and Heather. They would all say God bless you if you sneezed. I have a merch store, it's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can get in touch with me, verbaldiorama at gmail.com on the email, verbaldiorama.com on the internet. And you can pop over to my work on filmstories.co.uk and you can buy copies of the magazine and you can also see articles that I write every week as well. And finally...
3: Just sit down on the bed and shut up. Jesus Look at my suit. Look, just take whatever you want, but don't kill or rape me. Oh, give over, will you? I couldn't rape you if I wanted to. Angels are ill-equipped. See? I'm as anatomically impaired as a kendo. Now, make yourself useful and give me that towel, will you? Honestly, you bottom feeders and your arrogance, you think everybody's just trying to get in your knickers. What are you? I'm pissed off, is what I am. Do you go around drenching everybody that comes into your room with flame retardant chemicals? No wonder you're single. Now, stand back. As I was saying, prior to your firefighting episode. I am... the Don't tell me the name doesn't ring a bell. You people. If there isn't a movie about it, it's not worth knowing, is it? I am a seraphim. The highest choir of angels. You do know what an angel is, don't you? Metatron acts as the voice of God. Any documented occasion when some yahoo claims that God has spoken to them, they're speaking to me. Or they're talking to themselves.
1: Why doesn't God speak for himself?
3: Glad you decided to join the conversation. To answer that, human beings have neither the oral nor the psychological capacity to withstand the awesome power of God's true voice. Were you to hear it, your mind would cave in and your heart would explode within your chest. We went through five atoms before we figured that one out. Bye.